Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Washera Community Church, where, number one, we exist to give creative and meaningful worship to our Lord and Savior, God, uh, our God and Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. And number two, to develop and discover disciples for him. Thank you for being here. My name is Tim Baroud. I want to give a special welcome to any visitors we have here this morning, um, or if you've only been here a couple times, thank you for spending your morning with us. We appreciate it, and we hope you leave today feeling encouraged and blessed after having spent the morning with us here. Um, one announcement for you, really, and that is about Christmas. So 5.30 p.m., Saturday the 24th, there will be a Christmas Eve service. Put that on your calendar. And then on Sunday the 25th, Christmas Day, there will be no 9 a.m. service. There will just be a 10.30 a.m. service, um, a Christmas Day service on the 25th. And with that, we have Pastor Robert here with a ministry minute for us. Thanks, everybody. Happy post-Thanksgiving. Hey, raise your hand if you ate some seconds of turkey, mashed potatoes, pumpkin pie, yams. Come on, where's all those hands, right? We, we love those food groups, don't we? We love that, right? We enjoy having seconds of things. And on behalf of the elders of Washard Community Church and the pastoral staff, we are inviting the entire congregation to have seconds I'm speaking of our transition January 1st when we go to one service at 930 and one all church Sunday school hour at 11 o'clock. And the entire congregation is asked at 11 o'clock to come and participate. Come and have seconds. We've heard the word of God at 930, but we're excited to go further and to meet God further and to go into his word further. So we invite you, please consider praying about that. Your children will be in their classes and all of us as adults will come to our classes. So we have a couple of maps that I think can be put up. We have... um, There's our lower level right now, and we have venues on all levels of our church that we're inviting adults to come to. So on the lower level, we have five, six, and seven. They're on our main level as that map comes up. That's where we are right now. We're going to have two large groups, number one and two. We have a medium group, number three, and then number four back in the library. And then we have a couple of venues up on our upper level. Some folks don't even know we have an upper level. There'll be two rooms up there. So you're invited to come and to be in a large group adult study, a medium group, a small group. You can choose what group you want to come to. As we launch this adult Sunday school, we're going to begin basically with all the same going deeper into the sermon study just to make it easy for us to all transition into an adult Sunday school. But the invitation is here. Come for more. We love the extra turkey and the mashed potatoes and the pie. Come for more. God's word endures and lasts forever. It's better than the Thanksgiving meal that we all enjoyed. So we invite you to take this little card out. This is your your class card. It's in the seat pocket in front of you. It's a bookmark. Take it home today. Stick it in your Bible. You can read all about the the venues that we have available. You choose where you want to do adult Sunday school. Um, As far as the topics, the teachers are all listed out in the foyer. You can choose a group via the teacher that really warms up to you. And then on the uh, glass doors of the library in the foyer, 
You can go there and see the same building maps that were just put up here on the screen. You can choose where you'd like to do some adult study, what kind of a group, what teacher is leading it or facilitator. We have one group that will be women only uh, will attend. So you get to make those choices, and then we ask you to register on the clipboards, which are just under the maps in the, on the walls of the library. So this is a bookmark to keep with you. And then when you choose the venue that you'd like to attend in January and you've signed up on the clipboards, circle it on your book card, and then you'll remember come January 1st, okay? I'll meet you back there after each service today, too, if you want to have some more questions. But we invite you, congregation, come for more. Thank you, Robert. Um, also, remember, there will be a short time of prayer after um, the worship service for anyone who would like to do that. Um, that'll be normally it's held over here in this corner of the, the sanctuary. So as the ushers come forward this morning to collect our tithes and offerings, we want to remember our missionary of the week this week. And that's Hattie Marie Dusan with the EFCA Equip LAC program, where they do training of pastors and lay leaders online in Latin America and the Caribbean. So with that, we'll do a moment of prayer and uh, collect tithes and offerings. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being here this morning in a body of believers who loves you. Father, I pray that you would take these tithes and offerings um, and use them to bless others around the world, Lord, and to bring forth your, your word in the hearts of people worldwide, whether that's here um, whether that's in another place on this continent or even, Lord, far across the world, we pray for Hattie Marie this morning, Lord, working in Latin America, um, training pastors and lay leaders, Father, that um, the support we give her through prayer and monetary would be an encouragement to them and would uh, be fruitful and reap a harvest of those who are willing to serve you. We love you so much. Thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. All right. We're the, we're the San Filippos. We're going to be doing our Advent reading today. We're very honored to be starting Advent. It's a tradition in our family, and we love doing it with our church family. Genesis 3. 14 through 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. For the next four Sundays, we'll be reading selections from the Jesus Storybook Bible as we light candles in preparation for Christmas. Our first reading takes us back to a time not long after God created the world, after Adam and Eve lived joyfully in the perfect garden home God had made for them, after Satan disguised himself as a snake to trick Adam and Eve into disobeying God, and after the first couple realized that disobeying God was the worst nightmare imaginable. Here's how it goes. Before they left the garden, God made clothes for his children to cover them. He gently clothed them and sent them away on a long, long journey out of the garden and out of their home. Well, in another story, it would be all over and that would have been the end, but not in this story. God loved his children too much to let the story end here. Even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan, a magnificent dream. One day... 
he would get his children back. One day he would make the world their perfect home again. One day he would wipe away every tear from their eyes. God loved his children too much to let the story end there. <clears throat> Missed my part. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And though they would forget him, run from him, deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him. Lost children yearning for their home. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve. It will not always be so. I will come back to rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to do battle against the snake. I'll get rid of sin and the dark and the sadness you let in here. I'm coming back for you. And he would. One day, God himself would come. Please pray with me. God, thank you for this promise you made all that time ago to our first parents, Adam and Eve. You would be the one to crush the serpent, to rescue us, to rid us of our sins and make things right. This Christmas season, help us to see how much we need you and how much you reach out through your son, Jesus. Amen. Let's say thank you to the ladies who put up uh, all of our decorations. They're beautiful around the sanctuary. Um, also, wasn't that precious to have the San Filippo uh, family share with um, the reading of the Advent and lighting the Advent candle? That's a wonderful thing to have. I do have a few announcements. I don't mind uh, saying announcements again just to make sure that we got them. Um, but we do have a men's breakfast coming up on December 10th. On December 10th, there's a sign-up out there um, at 8 o'clock, so guys, sign up for that. We have four Sundays of Advent, and what we're going to be going through is Matthew chapter 1 and 2. So if you want to read that ahead of time, feel free to do so, Matthew 1 and 2. We will have that Christmas Eve service at 5.30, and then on Christmas Day, that's wonderful, every six or seven years, you have Christmas land on a Sunday, and we'll have one service that morning at 10.30 on Christmas, on Christmas morning. We, Stephanie and I, are leaving right after the service. We have our second vacation, and we're headed to Colorado to see our, our son and his wife and our four grandkids that are out there. So we're going to have a late Thanksgiving, early Christmas with them. And, uh, but next Sunday, uh, a man named Mike McFadden is going to be here. He's the director of uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He's also one of the speakers through the EFCA system. And so he's going to bring the message next Sunday morning here in the church. So I think that's all the announcements I have. Um, I did want to say that the reason I'm going through Matthew uh, chapter 1 and 2 is because uh, last year I went through Luke 1 and 2. And I think it's interesting to take and look at uh, Christmas through really deeply through their through the gospel writer's eyes. And then it just kind of verified it as the ladies were setting up this uh, beautiful nativity scene up here. And I said, there's no shepherds. And they said, no, there's no shepherds. <laughs> and I said, that actually works out really great because Matthew never talks about shepherds. He only talks about the wise men. So that worked out really great. Um, in the Bible, in the Bible, um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 17 is where we're going to be. In the Bible, there's a couple places where the genealogy, the family line of Jesus is, is proclaimed. And so we're going to look at one of those in Matthew. There's one in Matthew and there's one in Luke. Now there's differences between, um, between those two. 
And I want to um, point them out to you here first. Matthew's genealogy, as we walk through it today, is selective. It's selective. He doesn't hit every single generation that's there, but he is following the legal line of David. He's following the legal line of David. And so he does this on purpose, and we'll see it at the end. Luke's genealogy in Luke chapter 3 is is more comprehensive. He's following almost every generation that's there, and he follows the bloodline of Jesus. So there's a difference. Second one, Matthew's genealogy is written for a Jewish audience. Actually, his whole gospel is written for a Jewish audience. He writes in such a way that his readers are going to be the Jews, So like when he talks about festivals and different customs and things, he doesn't describe them in detail at all because they would know. They would already know about that. And so he writes this genealogy in a way that the Jewish people would identify with. Luke's genealogy is written written for a Gentile audience. So he's a broader audience that he is writing to. Matthew's genealogy goes from Abraham forward to Jesus. And that shows you, again, that's written for a Jewish audience because they would go back to Abraham, the father of the Jews. And so he writes from Abraham forward to Jesus. Luke's genealogy goes from Jesus and goes backwards all the way back to Adam and ultimately back to God. So those are some of the differences there. Matthew writes with a rabbinic teaching method for memorization. For memorization, If you just jump down and look at verse 17 as an illustration of this, it says, Therefore, all the generations of Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So he wrote in such a way as they did at that time, they would put things in numerical form so that you could remember. So you, uh, 14, 14, 14, and so that's how he's writing it. Another way that he writes this is he takes, he starts with the patriarchy, Abraham, and he moves all the way to the monarchy, which is David, King David. And then he goes from the monarchy, King David, and he moves to the captivity when they were exiled to Babylon. And then he goes from the captivity, the exile, to the nativity, to the Christ. So you start to see the flow that's there. Remember, they, not everybody had a scroll. Not everybody had a Bible. Not every, none of those things were there. So a lot of this was done orally. So in verse 1, it says, the book, the book, or the record. Matthew is saying, I'm, I'm going to give you the record. I'm going to give you the record of the genealogy of the, gen- the actual word is Genesis, of the origin of the source, of the source of Jesus. I'm stopping you along the way here. Of Jesus, and Jesus' name means Savior or God who saves. I'm going to give you the record. I'm going to give you the official record of the origin of this one named Jesus. And then Jesus' last name is not Christ. That's his position, right? His position of being the anointed, the Messiah, the Son of God. So that's a pretty bold statement to say, for Matthew to say that. I'm going to give you the official record of the genesis of the origin of this one named Jesus, whose name means God saves, And he holds the position of being the anointed one, the Messiah, the Son of God. And then he goes even a little bit further when he says, the son of David, the son of David. He wants them to realize that, wait a minute, this this is the one I'm talking about when 
God spoke through Nathan to David and gave the Davidic covenant. He said these words. Um, he said, Yahweh also, God declares to you that Yahweh will make a house for you when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. So David, when you die, when you die, I will raise up one of your seed. There it's going to become one from you. Uh, after you, who will come forth from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, for, at, for my name, and I will establish his throne and his kingdom forever. So, so we realize that that's not Solomon. He's talking about somebody else that can have a forever type of kingdom. In verse fourteen of Second Samuel, it says, "And I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me." And do you remember all the times that Jesus calls God what? Father. And what does the father call him? Son, calls him son. When he commits iniquity, so it, there is going to be an iniquity that man puts upon Jesus. I will reprove him with the rod of men and the strikes from the son of men. So there's the crucifixion scene. And if you remember our diagram, there's this age, and in this age, there's suffering, but then there's an age to come, and then in the age to come is glory. He goes on to say, but my loving kindness shall not be removed from him as I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you and your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words, according to all this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. So Matthew is saying this one that I'm talking about fulfills the Davidic covenant. It's that one that they're talking about. Then he even goes farther. And he says, the son of Abraham, this one that I'm talking about fulfills the Abrahamic covenant. So if we go back to all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three, God is speaking to Abram at the time. He says, Yahweh said to Abram, go forth from your land, from your kin, from your father's house, from the land, which I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, in you, in your, in this family structure that I'm making, this nation that I'm making from you, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. There's the, the families of the earth will be blessed because of someone who will come from the creation of this nation. He says that quite a few times. One more time I want to give it to you is in Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, where it says, in your seed, very familiar to the Davidic covenant, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you've listened to my voice. Abraham, there's one that's coming from you that is going to bless the whole world. And so what Matthew is doing is he's boldly stating Okay, I'm going to give you the record. I'm going to give you the official record of the genesis of the source of the origin of this one named Jesus, whose name means God saves, um, and he is the Christ, the anointed, the Messiah, the Son of God, and he fulfills the Davidic covenant, and he also fulfills the Abrahamic covenant. Okay, let me give that to you. So now um, I'm going to get a little help this morning. Well, so, Jim, come on up and get yourself comfortable. I got Jim to help me this morning. Yeah. 
I got to make sure your microphone is on right. Okay. It's working. It's working. Jim's going to be my reader, but before he starts reading, um, I want to make these three points here. Matthew doesn't try to erase history. As we read through this, as Jim reads through this, Matthew doesn't try to erase history. Now, we've, we've, we've lived through a couple years of people trying to erase history. Matthew does not do that. Matthew doesn't try to modify history. Actually, it, actually he, he brings some things to the forefront for us to take a good look at so he doesn't modify history. But Matthew makes a point using history, makes a point using history. And I think those are three really important points for us. We can think nationally, like, you know, we, we shouldn't erase history, our nation's history. We shouldn't, we shouldn't try to modify our his, nation's history. History is history. It was, it's happened already. But we surely can make points about from our history. We surely can do that. You can think of yourself that way, too. Think individually. You don't want to, don't erase your history, your personal history. Don't erase that. And, and don't try to modify it. Don't try to, you know, like, like make it into something else that it was. No. But you definitely, yourself personally, can use your own personal history to make a point. To make a point. I think on Wednesday night, we heard some of that as some of the people got up and shared about what they were thankful for and how God touched their life. And, and that's part of their history. That's part of their history. So um, I've asked Jim to help me this morning. And I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop Jim along the way. He's going to read these names. And, and, and we're going to see how Matthew makes a point, a point along the way. So take it away, Jim. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot wait, Hezron. Wait, 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 verse 2. Verse 2? Verse two? Yeah, oh, verse 2. Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Stop right there. Who was the most famous brother of, of, of Judah? Does anybody know? Joseph. Yeah, what do we know about Joseph? Coat of many. Colors. Colors, colors. But it, you'll notice in, it, in this genealogy that he gives that he doesn't mention Joseph, even though Joseph was wi wildly used by God and wildly faithful to God. He, but he, he, Joseph, in the scheme of everything, was just a protector of the line of Jesus that came through who? Judah. Judah. Yeah. Okay, next verse. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Stop. Now, this is where a Jewish person reading this uh, genealogy would go, what? <laughs> because they would not have put a woman's name in there. Now, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. It's just at that time, they would not have put a woman's name in their genealogy. They actually, the Jewish men would pray sometimes in the morning, thank you, Lord, that I am not a Gentile and I am not a woman. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that's right. I, I, you know, things get cleared up in the New Testament kind of thing. But this would have stopped them. But what, what Matthew is doing is he's saying, okay, I'm putting this name in here, and it's going to make you stop. And it's going to make you think, well, what about Tamar? Well, if you really want to know about Tamar, it takes you back to Genesis chapter 38. And Tamar 
was most likely a Canaanite. Judah was her father-in-law. She was married to Judah's son. They, the Judah's son died. They had no children. And she went through this elaborate plan to entice her father-in-law as a harlot. And so she begot some children from her father-in-law. And in the process, because that would have been a stonable offense, she covered her bases to be protected so that she would not die. Okay? Boy, it, are you enticed? Are you like, man, I got to read that sometime. Yeah, because I left a whole bunch out of there. Okay? But Matthew brings in this lady named Tamar, who's most likely a Canaanite, and, and stops them in their tracks to think about, this is in Jesus' line. This is in Jesus' line. Okay, keep going. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Stop. There's another woman's name. And it would stop them to say, okay, now I got to think about Rahab. What's Rahab's story? You'll find that in uh, Joshua chapter 2. You'll find about Rahab. And, and the first thing that grabs me is, wait a minute, she's the mother of Boaz. Wait a minute, who's Boaz? Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. Boaz is the one who steps into the fray and says, I'll stand up and take full responsibility for Ruth and, her, and Naomi and their whole family. I mean, he is just a huge hero in the Old Testament. His mother is Rahab, who was of the city of Jericho, most likely a Gentile, and a certified harlot. I mean, that was her position in the city, a prostitute. And um, the, her life is really interesting because when the walls of Jericho come down, we see in Joshua chapter 6, we see the protection of her because she protected the spies. Chapter 6, verse 22, now the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the harlot's house, I mean, that's officially called that, and bring the woman and all that she has out of there as, as you have sworn to her. So the young men who were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all that she had. And they also brought out all her relatives and placed them outside the camp of Israel. And then they burned the city with fire and all that was in it, only the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron that they put into the treasury of the house of Yahweh. However, Rahab, the harlot, and her father's household and all that she had, Joshua preserved life, and she, was, she lived in the midst of Israel to this day, for she, did, she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Not only is she there, but then you go to the New Testament, to the book of Hebrews, and the chapter of, of the great heroes of the faith, and we find her again. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the harlot, there it is again, did not perish along with those who were disobedient after welcoming the spies in the place. Whoa. Now we realize that Rahab became a proselyte, what they would call a proselyte to Judaism. She would be one that the reason she did this is because she believed in the God of the Israelites, because she believed in the God of Israelites. But first off, we have most likely a Canaanite in his line and most likely a Gentile in his line. Next line. 
<laughs> Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Stop. So here's another one. I mean, he's he's making them stop. And what he's doing for these Jewish readers is they're going through all these stories just like I'm going with it through you. Here's Ruth. She's a Moabite. So Naomi's husband and her and the two boys uh, leave leave uh, Israel because of the famine. And and her hus- Naomi's husband dies. Her sons die after they have taken wives. Uh, Naomi says to these two wives, go back to your family. But it's Ruth. It's Ruth who says, you know, where you go, I will go. Uh, your God is my God. But she's a Moabite, and Moabites were worshipers of idols. And where did the Moabite nation come from? Well, back in Abraham's time, Abraham and Lot, Lot and his wife are in Sodom and Gomorrah. God says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. You need to leave the city now. And so they leave the city, and Lot's wife, what, turns back and looks, becomes a pillar of salt. And, and, but where the Moabite nation comes from, is is there's a relationship between Lot and his daughters. I'll just go as far as that. We would call it incest. And, And that's where the Moabite nation came from, was from that relationship that happened between Lot and his daughters. So so we've got a Canaanite, possible Canaanite Gentile, and a Moabite now that's in Jesus' line. Again, she's a proselyte to Judaism from what she said. Okay, keep going. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David, the king. Okay, say that last line one more time with emphasis. Jesse begot David, the king. The king, the king. Now, so we're going from the monarchy, or from the the patriarchy now into the monarchy. Okay, next line. David the king begot Solomon by her who had... This is where we see a difference in the genealogies with Luke and Matthew. Because Jim just read that David was the father of Solomon. Now, if you go to Luke's genealogy, and you have to read it the other way, um, Luke chapter 3, verse 31, it says, The the son of Malay, the son of Manah, the son of Matthew, the son of Nathan, the son of David. So there, there's the dividing line. There's the distinction between these two genealogies. One genealogy, Matthew's genealogy, deals with, with the line coming from Solomon. Mer, uh, Luke's genealogy runs the line of Nathan. So David has two sons. One is Solomon. One is Nathan. And so one genealogy follows Solomon's line, and one genealogy follows Nathan's line. Most believe that Matthew is is Joseph's side of the family. That's what he's recording. And Luke, in his genealogy, is recording Mary's side of the family. Okay, so there's another distinction there. Okay, the next phrase. By her who had been the wife of Uriah. Oh, he just said another woman's name. Well, he didn't really say her name, did she? He, di- he didn't say that. It may be for the respect of David, the king. Maybe he didn't say it. But we know her name to be Bathsheba. Bathsheba. But she's described as the wife of Uriah, and Uriah was a what? A Hittite. So now we've got a Canaan, possible Canaanite, a Gentile, uh, a Moabite, and now possibly a Hittite that's there. 
And it again drives you back to history if you are Jewish to say, oh, yeah, Bathsheba. Second Samuel chapter 11. And you can read that chapter and read about the adultery. You can read about the deception. You can read about the disposing of Uriah. All of that. Matthew doesn't leave any of that stuff out. All he has to do is put in a name. And for the Jewish reader, they would go back to that section of the scriptures. Okay? Now we get the list of the good, the bad, and the ugly, because we're in the monarchs. So go ahead and start reading there. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Bad. Rehoboam begot Abijah. Bad. And Abijah begot Asa. Good. Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Good. Jehoshaphat begot Joram. Bad. And Joram begot Uzziah. Good. Uzziah begot Jotham. Good. Jotham begot Ahaz. Bad. And Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Good. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. Bad. Like, ugly bad. Okay, that one. Manasseh begot Amon. Bad. And Amon begot Josiah. Good. Great king. Great, uh, you know, that's why we name our kids Josiah. Okay, right there. Okay, okay. Keep going. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. Okay, we'll say bad. We'll say bad. But also now we are to the, the exile. We're to the captivity. They were exiled. They were taken to Babylon, and they would be there for 70 years. 70 years. Verse 12. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel. Stop right there. Now, in this verse, he gives this name of this one of the line of David through Solomon. And, and this would also bring up something. And many of you studied uh, uh, Jeremiah um, with Pastor Robert. And you would have come across this passage of Scripture, uh, Jeremiah 22, starting in verse 28. Um, sometimes, uh, Jeconiah? Jeconiah. I, Jeconiah. Sometimes his name is, is shortened up to be Kaniah. Kaniah. And it says this, Is this man Kaniah a despised shattered jar, or is he an undesirable vessel? Why have he and his seed been hurled out and cast into the land that they had not, have not known? We're in exile. O land, 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 hear the word of Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh, write this man down childless, like his children mean nothing, a man who will not succeed in his days, for no man of his seed, there's that phrase again, his seed, will succeed sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. Oh, we got a problem here. We got a problem in this line because there's a curse that is on this line that no one after this person that that Jim's going to read um, would be able to set on the throne of David, would be able to rule a, as as the Messiah, that no one else would be able to do this, okay? So let's uh, let's keep on going. You can keep right on going there, Jim. Zerubbabel begot Abiud, Abiud begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor. Azor begot Zadok. Zadok begot Akim. And Akim begot Eliud. Eliud begot Eleazar. Eleazar begot Mathan. And Mathan begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Joseph. Stop right there. Here's another 
distinction between this one and Luke's gospel, Luke's genealogy in Luke chapter 3, when it talks about Joseph, of course, we're going the other direction again. Luke chapter 3, verse 23 says, when he, Jesus, began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Eli. So, so in Luke's genealogy, he's the son of Eli. In Matthew's genealogy, he is the son of, oops, <laughs> he's the son of Jacob. Jacob. He's the son of Jacob. Now, again, this is where they would say that Jacob would have been his earthly, his father, his legal father. Most likely, if this is following Mary's line, Eli is the father of Mary. And, and some, most likely then, Eli maybe didn't have any sons. So what did Joseph become to him? A son. Well, he would have been a son-in-law, but he would have been a, a son to him. Now, the next line, the next phrase. The husband of Mary. The husband of Mary. So here's a break in the genealogy of how he's been going along, the pattern in which he's been going along. And you'll notice that the focus is on Mary. He's the husband of Mary. The, 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 the person that is named, he's, he's taken on just this, you know, this, this characterization of him as a husband, but we're given her name, her name. Matthew's trying to go, he's going to point out something here. And as I read in Luke, it says, um, and he, Jesus being his, Jesus himself, about 30 years old of age, being as was supposed. Luke does the same thing. He wants you to, as supposed the son of Joshua, uh, Joseph, um, to hold by custom. That's what it means. So it, he, he doesn't really emphasize that, wait a minute, there's, there's something to question here about Jesus being the son of Joseph, as was supposed. Then the next line there. Of whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ. By whom? That word right there is that phrase right there is singular and feminine. So what Matthew is saying, Jesus was born of Mary, but not of Joseph. He said that without saying it. He said it by just saying those words, by saying, by whom, by whom Mary, not by whom Joseph, but by whom singular Mary comes this one named Jesus. So both of them, both Luke and, and Matthew say there's, there's a questionable verse, uh, birth here. There's, this should make you pause. This should make you go, what? And this leads into the rest of the story, of course. But, but both of them, by Luke saying, was supposed to be the son of Joshua or Joseph, and, and, and Matthew saying, by whom Mary, it pointed that this birth was different. This birth was very different. And verse 16 ties us back into verse 1. It's like bookends. Who is called the Christ? And how did Matthew start this off? The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ. So he bookends it. Then I'll let you read 17 for me. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Let's give Jim a hand. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> now, verse 17, there's no vowels in the Hebrew. And so you just have consonants. And you put in your own vowels as you go along, as you read it. And so 
what Matthew does is he starts with Abraham, he goes to David, then he goes to the deportation, which is the exile, and then he ends with Christ. But if you take David's name, DVD, which, DVD, yeah, um, but, but that wouldn't be that in the Hebrew. But every Hebrew letter has a number added, uh, given to it. So D in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew would be number four, and then V would be number six, and then D would be number four. And so if you add four, six, and four together, what do you get? Fourteen, fourteen, just a rabbinic way of remembering. So if you're going to remember this list, all you got to remember is what? David. All you got to do is remember his name and the digits that are added to his name, and therefore you got the generations, and now I can go on from here. Just to say this again, Jesus fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant. And you see it in this genealogy because who does Matthew emphasize? A possible Canaanite, uh, a Gentile, uh, a possible uh, a Moabite for sure, a Moabite, a possible Hittite. All of these are for of all the nations are in his genealogy. David also, or Matthew also says Jesus fulfilled the Davidic covenant, even in this line. And if you, if you were to look at these lines, if you were going to come about it Matthew's or, or Joseph's way, or if you were going to come about it Mary's way, where would you ultimately end up? Back to David again, back to David again. And then Jesus fulfills the exile proclamation. When they're getting ready to go into exile, Isaiah just gives us some beautiful verses that we read during this time of the year. And one of them is Isaiah chapter 9, 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to his, to the increase and of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will accomplish this. So Matthew very boldly, very boldly in his genealogy says, I'm going to give you the official record that this one that we call Jesus, whose name means God saves, is the Christ. And he is the one who fulfills the Davidic covenant. He's the one that fulfills the Abrahamic covenant. And he's the one that was spoken of to you by the prophets when you were in exile. Now, let me finish with this. The outcast Matthew records Jesus' outcast past. Do you remember Matthew? What is Matthew? A tax collector. He was an outcast. He was someone that, 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 that everybody avoided, that, that was never invited to the party kind of thing. And so Matthew, an outcast who was asked by Jesus, come follow me, and left everything and followed after Jesus, Matthew the outcast records, he makes sure to record, Jesus' outcast past. And the excluded are included. The excluded are included. You can find part of this um, genealogy in Ruth chapter 4. At the very end of Ruth chapter 4, you'll see part of this genealogy, but you won't see the women's names. So what does Matthew do? He, he makes sure that the excluded are included, and he does it for a point. 
He does it so we look back at the history of how God was, well, how Jesus was preserved through that line. Matthew sends his, ends his gospel with the Great Commission. And you know this, go therefore and make disciples of what? All nations. And so how does he start his book? He starts it by giving a genealogy that shows there's nations that are included in this genealogy. Another thing, God uses actual people, messy people, not ideal people. He uses actual people. The people names that we read were actual names. And we realized reading through it and looking at some of the other passages, these were messy people. Even Abraham, you know, you can go down each one, Abraham, man. You know, the father of the Jews, but at time, you know, he gave his wife away, you know, for a time, put her out on loan. Ooh. Uh, David. Yeah, King David, you know, and, 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 and you can look at his life deeper and go, wow. And, and the end of his life, he's on the run all the time. You can look at Solomon and, and the mess he got himself into. See, God uses actual people, messy people, not ideal people. He didn't pick ideal people to be his disciples. So you could be someone who says, you know, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. And if if you were to say that, I think Jesus would say back to you, no one is. <laughs> There's only one that's worthy. Yeah, so so you you're you're correct in your statement. I'm not worthy. It's actually the person who says something along the lines of, you know, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm a pretty good person. Um, If we were going to say it in this way, they're far from the kingdom of God. The person who thinks they're a good, good enough person, they are far from the kingdom of God. But the person who says, you know what? I'm not worthy that person you would say, you are close to the kingdom of God. You are close to the kingdom of God because you have realized that you need a savior. And that savior is Jesus. And that's, that's why he came. That's why Jesus came. He came to find those people who are at that point who say, you know what? I'm not worthy of his love. And he says, yep, but I come to love you. And I came to save you. I came to redeem you. And the ones who say I'm not worthy are the ones who are close to the kingdom of God. So I pray that all of us would say that. At some point we would say, I I am not worthy. I'm really messed up. But that's who God uses. That's who God calls. Let's bow our heads in prayer. So, Heavenly Father, I I thank you for this passage of Scripture. I thank you that Matthew uh, started off his gospel this way, a very bold statement to his readers. Um, Thank you for him including the excluded so that we would see uh, again how uh, just miraculous um, the birth of Christ is. And as we continue through this story, this Advent, we will see again and again how, how you are tried to be done away with. This seed is tried to be eliminated. Uh, but you step in every time and protect this seed. 
Lord, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here that, uh, so I, I don't feel worthy of God's love. That if they heard anything this morning, that they would know that they are close to the kingdom of God. All it takes is a turning to him. It's a repenting, turning to Christ and saying, I want you to be my savior. I accept you as my savior. You are the savior. And I want to live my life following after you. I haven't been doing that, Father. And now I repent and I turn to you and say, I want to take this messy life of mine and use it for your glory. I would also pray this morning, Lord, if there's any of us who think we're good enough, that in some way, shape, or form, we would be shaken by your word. But there is only one who is good, and that is Jesus Christ. And that our thinking needs to be changed. To realize, otherwise, we will, we will never call out to a Savior. Because we've become our own Savior. Becoming our own Savior only leads to hell. The calling out to our Savior leads to heaven. And the time to come when we will be with him in his glory. So, Lord, thank you again for this morning. And it's time to uh, focus on your, my precious name. Amen.